Hi, my name is Braden Antrim. Uh, I graduated from Westmore High School and I will be attending OCCC in the fall. Uh, thank you for all your support and just being a great church family. Hi, I'm Jackson Cargill. I just graduated from Christian Heritage Academy and I'll be attending Stanford University this fall, pursuing a degree in political science. Um, I just want to say thank you to my Emmaus family for all the love and support you've given me. Uh, I will certainly miss being a door greeter every Sunday, greeting you all, and I can't wait to come back to Emmaus when I visit. Hi, my name is Gabriel Kemery. I just graduated from Christian Heritage Academy. I am in the Air National Guard and I will be attending OSU OKC when I get back from boot camp and tech school. I want to thank all the people of Emmaus for all their support and prayers and I want to thank my family for uh, pouring into me for all these years and for teaching me how to follow the Lord and I just want to thank them for everything. Hi, I'm Mason Whitmill. I just graduated from Christian Heritage Academy uh, and my plans uh, this coming fall uh, are to attend Warren Norman uh, for cybersecurity training. Um, I wanted to thank the people of Emmaus for all their support and prayers. I especially wanted to thank my youth pastor, Jaron, uh, for supporting me all these years. Hi, my name is Reed Rasnick, and I'm graduating from Norman North High School, and I'm going to be attending the University of Oklahoma in the fall. I want to thank the people of Emmaus for always being a very kind, caring, and loving church. There's a lot of great people at Emmaus, um, and especially being a very generous church as well. So right now, we are working a lot to help uh, people in need during these times, and you can donate online at uh, the Emmaus website or mail a check to the church office. Thank you. All right. Good morning again, Emmaus. We love those videos. It's been fun to see the videos from families over the week, but then able to see our graduates. And we're going to try to find other ways uh, later in the summer to be able to celebrate them as well. But also, as a transition to something, in another way that you're going to be able to pray for our graduates, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we are going to have a prayer walk up here at the church. I say it's at 2. Let me be clear. This is going to be a come-and-go event anytime between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. So here's the deal. If you feel like it, if you would like to participate in this, you feel good coming out, you're, you're healthy, you've not been exposed to anyone with COVID in the last uh, 10 to 14 days, we are going to have up here at the church this afternoon a way that you can come. You'll park in the front. And then right there in front of the main building where there's the covered the drive area, we're going to have people pass, passing out prayer walk booklets. Also, there's going to be a little gift uh, for the kids. Not a huge gift, kids. Don't think huge Christmas present gift, but, but just something that, that we're able to give you. And then that prayer booklet is going to take you around our church campus, not inside the building, but around the church campus to be able to pray for our church and for our community, praying that God would continue to move by His Spirit in, in our life, that the church would be strengthened, and that we would see the gospel advance at this time as much as any other time. And so while we're not going to gather for a couple of more weeks, this afternoon we're going to be able to see faces and give a lot of air high fives and air fist bumps and be able to interact and encourage one another and specifically be able to pray for one another. And part of that prayer walk is going to be praying 
for our graduates. So I want you to know about that. We'd love for you to take part in that if, if that's something that you feel comfortable and you're able to do. Again, anytime between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. this afternoon, we'll have people out here in front to receive you and, and hand you a prayer booklet. All right, this morning we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. So Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, we are continuing through our series called Who is God? As we try to understand God's character and God's work in, in our lives, you go into your world around you, you go into your neighborhood, you go to your workplace, and you ask people, who is God? You're going to get all kinds of different answers. And so we are using multiple weeks to uncover that question and look at it from multiple perspectives. And we're going to look at it one way, and then we'll come back again to it in a couple of weeks. We're just continuing to develop these things. This morning, though, we're going to be beginning and basing our, our sermon this morning at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. If you're not familiar with Hebrews, it's toward the end of your New Testament. After you get to the end of Paul's letters, then you're going to get to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to begin looking here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And I want to read the first four verses of Hebrews because this is going to be the foundation for what we look at today. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together this morning, Emmaus, as we get started. Father, in this moment, where we are as a church, what it means to be connecting online like this, what it means to be talking about a question like, who is God? Father, I pray that you would remind us of the foundation and the hope that comes through your word. God, I pray that as a church that we would never back away from the word of God. God, I pray that as a church that we would depend on your word, that we would read your word, that we would study your word, that we would live out your word. And God, may we remember the power of prayer. There's a lot of uncertainty in our world. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of chaos. But God, at the end of the day, if we're going to get anything right, we want to be built on the foundation of your word, and we want to be driven by the power of prayer. And so today, in simple ways, God, we devote ourselves to you in those ways. We receive your word, speak to us through your word, and may we respond as people of prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So on April 28th, 2020, just a couple of weeks ago, lost among the many deaths that have happened over the past few months, a man who was somewhere between 88 and 91 years old died in a remote part of the jungle in Ecuador. This man's death probably would have gained even less attention, except that his name was Minkai, which means wasp, one of the great nicknames or name meanings of all time. Minkai is survived by his wife, Ampade, 
which means otter. She was obviously the more fun one in the relationship, kind of like my own marriage. Uh, He's survived by his wife, whose name means otter. They had 13 children, 50-some grandchildren, and many, many more great-grandchildren. The reason that Minkai is such an important figure this morning is because he became known to us through the writings of Elizabeth Elliot, through the work of a man named Steve Saint, and he was the main character in the film Into the Spear. Mingai was part of the tribe called the Wadonis, and the Wadonis became well known to us in the mid-1950s when a group of missionaries went there and were killed, were speared on the beach, interacting with a particular tribe in Ecuador. But in the aftermath of that situation, many in that tribe came to faith in Christ. Now, I'll say up front that the the details around this, it's very complex. It's a very difficult situation. But at the end of the day, here's what we know. We know that for Minkai and for many others of the Wadoni Indians, their lives were transformed by the good news of Jesus. And as he traveled around and talked about his experience, I want want you to see one of the quotes that Minkai would use when he would travel around. He would say to people, how long... Did you have God's markings, God's carvings, the the scriptures, the writings, before you brought them to us? Maybe if we had known sooner that the Creator did not see it well that people should live angry, hating, and killing for no reason, we could have walked God's trail sooner. Now, there's something in that quote that's going to be very helpful for us this morning, and you're going to see it in a chart coming up on your screen here in just a second. I want you to see the connection between what we would call general revelation and special revelation. So last week, if you were part of our live stream, if you were connected to Emmaus last week, you know that we talked about how God is creator, how God creates as an overflow of who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all involved in the work of creation. We talked about creation last week, and creation generally fits under general revelation that God makes himself known universally in in a general way to all people through his eternal power, divine nature. It can create a need for God, even though it doesn't provide the exact answers to how to meet that need. Usually when we talk about general general revelation, we're talking about nature, creation, God's work in history, especially this idea of conscience, the, the moral law, this idea of what happens in the inner workings of a person. The beginning part of Psalm 19, which is famous for this, talks about how when we look at creation, when we look at God's work, we see his glory on display. And so in creation, that all people are exposed to, the reality that all of us deal with in our own conscience, in our own person, we can see this idea of God's revelation of how he has revealed his power to us. But we need special revelation. We need God's particular personal revelation to us in in order to understand how to be saved. General revelation can cause us to realize, yeah, I see God's power, I see his glory, I maybe even see my need for him, need for answers for all of this chaos and pain that's in the world, but we need God's special revelation in order to understand his character and his plans, and his purposes, and his will for our lives, and how we come to salvation. And so this idea of special revelation, you see it in the Old Testament, in Scripture as God appeared to people and spoke to people. We even understand it in terms of dreams and visions, how God would speak personally to someone in that way. Specifically, though, I want you to focus on God's revelation of himself to us through Jesus 
and specifically through the Bible as the Word of God showing us the truth about who Jesus is. General revelation, we're able to know God's power. Special revelation through Jesus and through the Word of God, we're able to know his plans and his purposes and his will for our life. Now, why do we talk about this? Because this is Hebrews chapter 1. So go back in your Bible. Kids, if you have your Bible open or if you have a phone open with the Scripture in front of you, look in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says there that long ago, at many times and in many ways, so in many different ways, revelations, dreams, words, experiences, and many times long ago, God spoke to our forefathers, to our fathers by the prophets. Now let me say something up front so there's not confusion at this point. This is speaking about God's revelation of himself through the Old Testament, through the law, through the prophets, through the writings that were given, the book of Hebrews is not saying that the Old Testament should be discarded, that it was bad because it happened long ago. You're going to find in the book of Hebrews that the Old Testament is the foundation for understanding who Christ is. We live in a day where, where some people are just tempted to push the Old Testament to the side. That is not what this verse is saying. But what this verse is saying is that the Old Testament was incomplete, so to speak. That it was speaking in many ways of God's work, but it was pointing toward something else. And we we see that when we see a comparison between verse 1 and verse 2 because look at verse 2 verse 2 says that in these last days God has spoken to us by his son I hope this comparison is helpful for you on on the screen the way you can see it lined up so Hebrews 1 1 long ago at many times and in many ways which is contrasted in verse 2 with in these last days Quick time out. This is your weekly reminder from Owen that the last days did not begin in March of 2020, okay? No matter what Facebook or anybody online might say, when we look at the New Testament and we think about living in the last days, we have been living in the last days since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since his ascension to the Father and the beginning of the church there by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been living in the last days because it says that in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so you're going to read a lot of things, you're going to see a lot of things online about living in the last times and things that are happening in our world. Just provide a gentle reminder that we have lived in the last days for many, many, many years because of the coming of Jesus. So in these last days, God has spoken. The God who spoke in the past through the prophets is the same God who is speaking in his son. The Old Testament God and the New Testament God are not different gods. That the God who spoke, the Father who spoke in those ways is the Father speaking now. And he's spoken to us. So in the past, primarily to our fathers who look forward to God's salvation, to us who are able to look back to the coming of Jesus. And he has spoken to us by his son. I can't overestimate for you, I can't overspeak to you how important it is that prophets in verse one is plural and son in verse two is singular. Multiple speaking in the past, singularly, finally, Ultimately, God has spoken through his son, that there is no further savior to come. There is no further revelation to come beyond Jesus Christ. Now, what you find here in these verses 
is that as God is speaking to his church about his son, Jesus, there are seven different statements, seven different realities of the son that are given in these verses. So you look at the end of verse two there, and it says, the son whom he appointed the heir of all things. That phrasing there, the heir of all things, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's tying back to a famous messianic prophecy from Psalm chapter two, about how the Messiah would rule as king over all things, that he would come to be the inheritance, or to receive the inheritance of the nations, that he would rule over all things. So if it's helpful in your Bible, out to the side, and you want to write Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, what's happening is it's pointing back to a fulfillment of that prophecy. He's the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We looked at this last week in Colossians chapter 1, that all things were created through the Son and for the Son. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That when we speak of God's Son, when we speak of Jesus, we are speaking of one who is fully God. That he has shown us the character of God. He has shown us who God is. That God's glory has radiated his life and light and love has come out through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. End of verse 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Be encouraged by that. In the world that we live in right now, be encouraged that the Son of God upholds all things by the word of his power. The word that spoke all things into creation is the same word that holds all things together. Be encouraged, be reminded by that. After making, middle of verse 3, after making purification for sin, so the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus died as the sacrifice for our sins, the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is that Philippians 2 teaching that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus came and lived among us. He died in our place for us to take on the power of sin, and then through the resurrection, he destroyed the power of sin, destroyed the power of death, and now he reigns over all things. That this is the final revelation of God. This is the one who is above all things. And look at the way it's portrayed in verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That song that we sang a little bit ago about Jesus is better Jesus is better is the theme of the book of Hebrews, that when God spoke to us by his son, that there is no greater word that he could give. There is no greater answer to the world's problems that he could give, that there is no achievement in your life, that there's no identity you could seek after, there's no success you could gain, there's nothing in this world that could ever be better then the good news of Jesus given to us by the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is better than anything that you could ever seek after in this life. And let me just say at this point, not saving this for the end of the sermon, but let me just say at this point, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you find in your life that you're always trying to seek after the next thing, like if I could just get here, or if I could just do this, then I would be content, then I would be happy, then I would find what I was looking for. That in this world, 
and the things that you can gain and the things that you can experience and the identity that you could achieve, it will never answer what you're looking for. But Jesus, the one through whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, the one who upholds the world by his word, he is the one who died for you in your place. And he came so that you would have life and have life abundantly and eternally. Jesus is better than anything you can seek. And so I don't know what you've been seeking in your life. I don't know what you're searching after. I don't know what identity you're trying to shape for yourself. But I want you to know that Jesus is better. And in these words, in saying those things from the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, I want us to see a couple of things this morning, Emmaus. We're going to deal with two dangers, two things that would undercut this reality of God speaking to us in a specific way through his word, through his son. So we're going to look at two dangers that we need to deal with, and then we're going to make four commitments together this morning as a church. So if you're keeping score at home and you like to write notes or you're trying to follow along, we're going to deal with two dangers and then we're going to make four commitments on the basis of what we've seen here in Hebrews chapter 1. Danger number one, is the Bible sufficient? Kids, if the word sufficient is confusing for you, I'm sorry for using a word that might not, you might not know well, is the Bible enough? So the word sufficient, is the Bible enough? Do we need more beyond the Bible? Do we need more beyond the word that has been given to us through Jesus? Remember Hebrews 1-2. In these last days, <laughs> there's no period of time to come beyond the time that we are living. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That the word of God focused on Jesus is sufficient for salvation and spiritual growth and in this danger, we see the danger of adding to Scripture, the danger of not trusting Scripture, and this danger of adding to Scripture, of feeling like we need something more, it's not new to our world. <laughs> it's not new to our world. If you go back to the middle of the second century, so somewhere between 140 A.D. and 160 A.D., there was a movement that broke out in the western part of modern-day Turkey, and this movement is called Montanism. Montanism also became known as the New Prophecy or the New Revelations. Montanism was built up with this idea that Jesus was going to return in this particular area of western Turkey. People have been predicting the return of Jesus at specific times and places for a long time. Middle of the second century, Jesus was going to return at this one area that they were calling New Jerusalem. And in this area, the people were claiming to have special revelations from God. New revelations, new prophecies to pass on to the people. And the church was able to come and say, no, We've already received the revelation of God. We've already received the word of God. You fast forward to the middle of the 19th century into the 1800s. During that time, you have a religion called Baha'i that comes onto the scene. Now, Baha'i builds on, it's not the same as, but it builds on Islam. And in Baha'i, you have the idea that Jesus came as a manifestation of God and Muhammad came as a manifestation of God. And there were all these different ways that God revealed himself. And then finally, in the middle of the 19th century, another manifestation of God came in the, in the figure of this person known as the Baha'u'llah. And the Baha'u'llah came as another manifestation of God. And the Baha'i religion 
is maybe not as popular as Islam, but you'll hear a lot about it. And there's some beautiful temples around the world connected to Baha'i, and there's a strong emphasis on a one-world order, a united uh, race that we're not broken up into races, but we're all united together. So you have this idea of Baha'i. At the same time, in the middle of the 19th century, this is when Mormonism is, is really taking off and developing. And in Mormonism, it's not just the Bible as the Word of God, that there are additional writings. There's the Book of Mormon, there's the Documents and Covenants, there's the Pearl of Great Price that contains these other, other types of writings. And so this idea that the Word of God is enough to know God and be related to him, Mormonism would say, no, you need this and this, and you need these additional writings to truly know what it is to know God and to be saved. And before you get too upset about Baha'i or Islam or Mormonism, can I just say we have to be careful about our own Christian bookshelves, our own things that we read online that we're exposed to in blogs and podcasts and other things, because there is a twisted form of Christianity that will say if you really want to be spiritual, you need to receive this special revelation from God. Or an author or a speaker will come along and they say, well, God said to me, which anytime someone says God said to me, big yellow flag, we're, we're wanting to be very careful at a time like this. And this is a revelation that needs to be given to you. At that moment, just know that the First thing we do, the immediate thing we do, is to test what is said against the word of God. Because we believe that the word of God is final. We believe that the word of God is sufficient, that God has spoken in these last days by his son. And the fulfillment that we find in scripture, we don't come along and say, yeah, we need more revelation. We need more in, under to, in order to understand what it means to be saved or what it means to grow spiritually. Now, there's a question that comes at this point. You might say, so Owen, are you telling me I can't read anything other than the Bible? I just read the Bible. I don't listen to anything else. I don't read any. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. In, in fact, there's good news packed in here. The good news packed in here is that what we want to do is that it's not that the Bible is the only thing I read. It's that I read the Bible so that I will read everything else biblically. And it's not that the Bible is all that I think about, it's that I read the Bible as the foundation for my life so that all of my thoughts will be biblical, will be following after the way of Jesus. That we don't always read the Bible, but we always want to live biblically. We go about our lives, we live joyfully in this world, we read fiction, we read history, we explore nature, we do our jobs, but we do them from the foundation of the Word of God. We say that the word of God is sufficient to know him and to live for him and it forms the foundation and it forms the litmus test for what it is to live for him in this world. And related to this idea of the word of God being sufficient, don't miss that the word of God is sweet. And I don't mean sweet like in a cool sort of way. The word of God is sweet in the sense that, it, that it's uh, something we savor in our lives. It brings joy to our lives that in a world where you're just constantly scrolling through social media and you're always chasing the next post and you're always chasing the next picture and there's all this uncertainty, we can slow down and we can savor the goodness of the word of God. In a world where so much is uncertain and where so much of life is about scrolling through media, just slow down and let the word of God be sufficient for you. Let the word of God fill up your life. 
that we would not just know the word in our head, but we would love the word in our heart because it is sufficient to know God and to live for God so that when we have that foundation, we are sent out into the world to be people of prayer, to be people of praise, to be people of good news and peace and hope and stability. And that takes us to the second danger. So the first danger is, is the word of God sufficient? The second danger I want you to see this morning is, is the word of God powerful? All scripture is breathed out. This idea of the word of God being inspired. All scripture is breathed out by God, which means it's profitable. It it makes an impact. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now you might say, Owen, you missed the question. You missed the question. You didn't say, is the word of God true? That, that is an important question. I, I agree with you. That's an important question. But hear me out on something. I think that in the church, when you're talking about us as Emmaus gathered around our screens trying to communicate about the word of God at a time like this, our greatest danger in Oklahoma in 2020 is not that we would doubt whether or not the word of God is true. My concern is that we would doubt whether or not the word of God is transformative that we would doubt whether or not the word of God is powerful. You see, we come out of a tradition as a Southern Baptist church, as a church here in this part of the world, we come out of a tradition where in the late 70s and the 80s, there were some very, very strong battles about the, the truthfulness of the word of God, whether the word of God truly was something that we could rely on, that it was trustworthy. There were these battles for the Bible and the conservative resurgence. And, and I'm not downplaying any of that. I don't mean to downplay the importance because we need to hold on to the truth of God's word. But in the middle of those battles, there was a lot of hypocrisy, and there was a lot of anger, and there was a lot of division, and there was a lot that didn't look like the word of God. And can I tell you that, that the people around you who live in your neighborhood, who live in your family, they're probably, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the case in every situation, but they are probably not doubting the word of God because they don't think it's true. They are probably doubting the word of God because they just don't think it matters. They don't think it makes any difference. They haven't seen it make difference in our life and in, and in churches and in the world around us. And until we believe that the word of God is powerful to transform, we can have all the battles we want to about whether or not the word of God is true. We have to determine together that no, the word of God will change us. The word of God will transform us individually and as a church from the inside out. Let me show you a couple of verses about this that might be helpful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, let me be careful in how I say this, but in our church tradition, we need to be careful that we're not just chasing the next Bible study that we're not just chasing the next sermon on bot radio, that we're not just chasing the next piece of Bible information because we are inundated with Bible information, but oftentimes it gets stuck here and we never do the slow, hard work to get it into our hearts. And this says from the word of God that the word of God is living and active and it pierces our hearts. The word of God will cut out the bitterness 
and cynicism and anger that it's set up in your life. The word of God will change the way you speak to yourself. Those terrible things that you say to yourself in your head that are not true, the word of God will begin to transform that. The word of God will change how you communicate to other people. That you're a person of hope and a person of peace and a person of love. The word of God will change how your marriage works. The word of God will change what you do with your money. But in order for that to happen, we have to allow the word of God to come into our life. We have to believe that it is transformative, that it's not just information that we believe to be true, but it's power. It's the word of God taking up residence in our life, conforming us to the image of Jesus. Look at the next scripture here. Romans chapter 12, verse two. This is a verse that I repeat over and over and over to myself. And and in the course of the last few sermons, I've tried to pick out a verse that maybe you could write down at home and and focus on for the week. So kids, families, uh, those that have been doing these Bible verses together, let me point you to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, if you need a verse to write down and practice as a family and think about as a family. Do not conform, or sometimes do not be conformed, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that transformation and renewal happen? It happens through the word of God. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We talked about our graduate videos today, and and as you come to the end of a time in school and you think about graduation or really just any time in our lives, we're often asking the question, what is God's will for my life? I, I wanna know God's will for my life. And if we're not careful in those moments, hear me out, because I want to be, again, careful at this moment, but in those times of wanting to know God's will, what we really want is we want some kind of special revelation beyond Scripture where God just tells us what to go and do. God has given us his will. He's given it to us in his word, and it's about our character being transformed. It's about the way we think being transformed. It's about the way we talk being transformed. It's about the focus and goals of our lives being transformed. And can I tell you, if you're seeking God's will for your life, as he does that powerful transformation in your life, he will send you out to do what's right in front of you, that you will know what to go and do, that you will have counsel of good people around you to come along and pray with you and say, hey, this is how God might be working in your life. So let me just say, if you're seeking God's will, it's in his word. He wants to transform your life by the power of his word. Let's talk about that power for just a moment here. What does it look like to experience the transforming power of God's word? Don't forget, it begins at salvation. There are several points in scripture, 2 Timothy 3, James 1, 1 Peter 1, that remind us that the word of God is instrumental in experiencing salvation, that we are transformed, we are made new by the word of God. The fruit of the spirit begins to work itself out in our life. The spirit himself does that work because he transforms us from the inside out. The transforming power of God's word, think about it beginning in you as an individual, that you get God's word in your life, and then you wanna get God's word in your home, And then you want God's word to be a part of whatever small group you meet with, if it's three or four people during the week, or it's a Sunday school class, or whatever it is, your your group is centered around the word of God, and then that we as a church are built around the word of God. We want the word of God in our lives, and our homes, and our groups, and our church, because we have to answer this question. How is the Bible transforming your life right now? Not 
what did you read, or not, do you believe the Bible is true, but what is the Word of God doing in your life right now because you're taking it in, because you're praying according to the Word, because you're talking to your friends and your family about this is what it looks like for the Word of God to take up residence in my life and in our home and in our church, that God wants to do that work in us. God has spoken to us in these last days. We live in these last days because of his revelation of himself to us by his son. And we experience that through the spirit-empowered word of God. So those are the two dangers. Is the word of God enough? And is the word of God powerful? And, And we just cut to the chase and say, yes, it is. It is sufficient. It is enough. And it is powerful. And if we believe those things to be true, if we as a church say we believe Hebrews chapter 1, then here's what I want us to do as we close, Emmaus. I want us to make four commitments together. Before we get back together in this room, as we continue with ministry, even during this time, if we believe that the word of God is sufficient and we believe that the word of God is powerful, then we're going to make these commitments together. Number one, we will hear and read the word. That as a church, we are going to say that we are going to hear and read and study and pursue the word of God. And if I can just speak to you personally here for for a moment, I can't overstate again what kind of temptation there is as a pastor and a church leader in today's world to feel like, man, we should be giving them something else. <laughs> like maybe there's something that's more compelling. Maybe there's a way that we can be more uh, impressive. Maybe there's something else we should be talking about. Can I just tell you, as, as your pastor and as your friend, we are not gonna go away from the word of God. Sometimes I look at sermons, I'm like, ah, do we have too much scripture here? No, <laughs> no, we are not going to go away from that. That as a church, we believe the word of God is sufficient and we believe the word of God is powerful. And so we are going to commit that in your life, in your home, in your group, that when we gather together, that we are going to gather around the word of God from the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we're not just gonna hear the word, but we're gonna do it. We are going to respond to the word. We're gonna call people to salvation, and we are going to respond to the word specifically through prayer and through praise. That when we hear the word of God, we want to respond by saying, God, I trust you, and God, I praise you, and God, I want to live for you, and we will be transformed by the word. If God is going to do anything in our church, it's going to come by the power of his word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, focused on his son Jesus, that we will be transformed from the inside out, and that we will proclaim and display the word to each other and to the world. That this same word that went to the Wadani tribe in the middle of the 20th century, that God would use us to take that word to our neighbors, that God would use us to take that word to the nations, that God would use us to proclaim and display Jesus to each other, that the church will be strengthened by the word of God, and that the gospel would advance by the word of God. Emmaus, that's our commitment. We will hear and read the word, we will respond to the word, We will be transformed by the word, and we will share the word with others. Let's pray together as we wrap up this morning. Father, thank you that you are a God who is not silent. God, thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us, not just through creation. God, we are thankful for that. But God, you revealed yourself to us 
through your son Jesus, and we are able to know him through your word. And God, I pray that we would never take that lightly. God, that we would believe that your word is sufficient, and we would believe that your word is powerful, and God, we pray that your word would transform our lives and our church. And God, I pray for anyone listening this morning, God, that if they are chasing after happiness and contentment and identity, they feel like they scroll through social media, they're always trying to find something else to fulfill them, God, I pray that they would know that Jesus is better, that he died for them, that he rose again, and that he reigns forever. And God, I pray that this morning that people would trust you, that they would give their lives to Jesus. And God, that you would bring salvation to our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Emmaus, I hope to see you this afternoon between two o'clock and five o'clock for our prayer walk. Have a great day. We'll see you again soon. God bless you.